Welcome to Advance Your Art. If you are interested in making money from your art, using your artistic background to your advantage when switching careers, or if you are just plain stuck, you've come to the right place. Now let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yorika Talbo. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you're interested in learning how to build a company, make money from your art, or if you're just feeling stuck about what to do next, you've come to the right place. Every week, I sit down with a creative entrepreneur to discuss the who, what, and why of their journey. If you like this episode, please remember to like, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Today, I'm sitting down with the keynote speaker, success coach, author, and philanthropist, Simon T. Bailey. Simon, hello. Welcome. How are you? Thank you so much. So good to be with you. <laughs> it's an absolute pleasure to have you on, on the show. Uh, so I know I gave you a, a little bit of an introduction, but for my audience who is less familiar with you and your work, how would you describe yourself and, and what you do? Oh my goodness. I simply uh, wake up every single day to inspire before I expire. So, <laughs> ah, I, I love it. I love it. It it, uh, it covers so many, so much wonderful territory. So, I want to get into your um, what you're doing now. But before that, I kind of also want to hear just you know where you started. And so, could you tell me a little bit about where where you grew up, what that was like, and then particularly. This is leading up into your educational background, which is very diverse from divinity to humanities to a doctor of science and business administration. Can you talk to me about that journey first? Sure. Mom and dad loaded up the family station wagon in Buffalo, New York, drove me down to Atlanta, Georgia, and dropped me off at Morehouse <laughs> College. At the end of my freshman year, they called and said, we don't have the money to send you back to Morehouse, nor do we have money to bring you back home to Buffalo, but we oh. do love you. <laughs> and so <laughs> there it began, right? And so I dropped out of Morehouse, moved into a jug-infested community in the southwest part of Atlanta, mm -hmm. only had a mattress on the floor, bright green beanbag from the 70s, couple of milk crates turned over. I was on public transportation. It's probably one of the lowest points of my life. I transferred my one year of credits from Morehouse to Georgia State, went mm -hmm. to school at night, worked during the day, got a job making $5.10 an hour as a front desk clerk. And I was 19 years of age, lost as a goose in a blizzard. And uh, <laughs> that's my story, literally. So I was struggling yeah. to kind of like figure it out. Fast forwarding, ended up moving to Orlando, Florida, where I've lived for the last few years mm -hmm. and went back to school. But it took me about 10 years to get my undergrad degree. And my parents said, it took you 10 years to finish your degree. I said, because you didn't pay, but I love you. <laughs> <laughs> ah, great. That's a great response. So, um, so did, I mean, you know, you, you have seen, you're a doctor of divinity. Could yeah. you talk to me more about that? Is that the like is that the original career path that you were you were aiming for, or what was that that like? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I was a mass communications major, okay, and I think along the way, I just wanted to know a little bit more about the universe and the world and religions and just trying to make sense of it all, mm -hmm. right? Because you know, this is one life to live. You don't get a do over. This is it, right? right? So that started the journey. 
And then I fell in love with business and entrepreneurship. And I'm like, man, you know, this religion thing is really cool, but I'm really interested in business. So I just made a sharp left-hand turn from the right lane. I'm like, okay, we're going to go over here. Squirrel moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah. And so now for, for a number of decades, I've been in business and I absolutely love it. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's absolutely wonderful. And, it, and again, from, I, I spend a lot of time looking at people's LinkedIn profiles and that's where a lot of my educational questions come from, but it, it's very clear that you have a love of learning because you've spent a, a lot of time, again, exploring different subjects and, and um, areas, which do you find that your, let's say intellectual curiosity is helping your now business, um, goals and focuses? Oh my goodness. Absolutely. I I've, I left Disney 20 years ago. I have reinvented five times mm -hmm. and in reinventing myself, it's because I had to learn, unlearn and relearn. So I forever stay curious. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. So let's, let's talk about Disney and your, your career. So you've been in the hospitality industry for, you know, I think it was over 25 years. What initially, so you, again, you mentioned working as a, as a, a night clerk when you were in college, but mm -hmm. what made you want to continue in the hospitality industry and make that your early career? I discovered it's one thing to go and work and take a job. And I realized mm -hmm. that a job stands for just overboard. When you find something absolutely that you love and it makes you come alive, all of a sudden you're like, what? I could do this for the rest of my life. So literally that's what happened with me. Disney sent me to Paris to design a leadership program for a thousand leaders out of Barclays Bank out of London and Lion mm -hmm. King had just come out. And I said, remember who you are. You are more than what you have become. And it was in that moment, I said, yeah. wait a minute. I'm not trying to hang out at Disney for a long time. I got to go do my own thing. But Disney was the catalyst. So yeah, that was yeah. a little bit of my journey. Yeah, yeah. All right. So so let's talk about that then when you start doing your your own thing. So what, what was that process like? And what made you suddenly decide? Because I'm, I'm going to guess that you had a, you know, I don't say cushy, but a comfortable career at Disney going up the chain and, and, you know, Disney has, is a, a, a company that's been around for a long time and there are people who spend their entire careers there. And so you were on that path and then suddenly you were like, you know what? Nope. I don't want this. I want something else. What, what was that moment like that made you suddenly go, this is, this is it. And then how did you make that transition? So the moment was in Paris and I went back to my hotel room that night after presenting. And I asked myself three questions. Number one, what would I do if I knew I couldn't fail? Number two, what would I do if no one paid me to do it? And number three, what makes me come alive? And when I answered that third question, I said, I want to speak, write, train, consult, and coach. And mm -hmm. I would do it for the rest of my life. So what I realized when I left Paris, came back to Orlando, I recognized that when you find your spark, you find your joy. When you find your joy, you find your voice. When you find your voice, you find your freedom. And I found my freedom to say, you know what? This is not working for me anymore. And here was the telltale sign that it was time for me to make a U-turn at the happiest place on earth. Mm -hmm. I started showing up late to work. I would take an extra lunch break. If it was supposed to be an hour, I would take two hours and then I would leave early. Yeah. And this was just this ongoing pattern. I said, you know what? 
I need to figure out an exit strategy quickly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you made the decision that that's what you wanted to do is, is the speaking, writing, coaching. So how did you actually go into that? Did you already have some, um, you know, some like a, a book idea already lined up before you made the, the, the transition or were you just like, boom, rip the bandaid off. Now I'll figure it out. So here's the story that a lot of people don't know. I'm sitting at my desk in December, 2001. I get a call from a journalist. And when you work at Disney, you never talk to the media. Mm -hmm. And he says, where do you see yourself 10 to 15 years from now? And I said, I see myself as the president and CEO of the Walt Disney World Resort and eventually chairman and CEO of the Walt Disney Company. And he puts this in print. So the yeah. article comes out. <laughs> You're, you cannot make this stuff up. Wow. The article comes out, page 12. Florida Business Trend Magazine, my boss calls me in the office like, what the heck were you thinking? I said, Larry, I work at this company whose motto is, if your heart is in your dreams, no request is too extreme for when you wish upon a star it makes no difference who you are, but obviously it does here. So right. uh, HR shows up, asks me to sign a little piece of paper. And let's just say, Yuri, I realized I committed career suicide that day and Disney didn't fire me but mm -hmm. I said, it's probably in my best interest to leave on my own. So a year later, I left and I started. But before I left, I would take vacation time and I would go and speak. One of the opportunities was Florida A&M University asked me to come and be a commencement speaker. And I said, oh. who was your commencement speaker to you? Uh -oh. Go. <laughs> so Florida AM University asked me to come and be their commencement speaker. I said, who was your speaker the year before? They said, Secretary Madeline Albright. I wow. said, wow. And so they told me what the honorarium was. And I said, well, I get double. And they're like, oh my goodness, we have to check our budget. No, mind you, I didn't have a business card, a website. I had nothing. I was flying by the seat of my pants. And the only reason they called me is because they saw the article in the magazine that I had the chutzpah to say I wanted to become the number one guy at Disney. Yeah. So they called back and said, yes, we absolutely have the budget. And they paid me. And I went and spoke, commencement speaker, December 2002, before 10,000 people. And I said, that's it. I'm out, Disney. It's been real. That became the catalyst. <laughs> I absolutely love it. That's phenomenal. Uh, okay, so so from that moment, then, so now you're a professional, professionally paid speaker too. How would you get the next job and the next job after that? Did you end up hiring someone to help you book these? Was it just something you did on your own? Did they come in because of the article? Like, what was that process like? Oh no. I literally uh, had to go and speak for free before I came to discover a fee. So I would go to the chamber, mm -hmm. Kiwanis, Rotary, and I would put a bowl back in the back of the room to collect business cards. This is before all the privacy laws on the internet. Yeah. And I said, hey, give me your business card. I'll sign you up for my newsletter, my e-newsletter. And so I would get those business cards, sign people up, and then I would start dialing for dollars. And it's a numbers game. So the more calls I made, I said, hey, I'm former sales director for Disney Institute. Love to come in and motivate your individuals. And after a while, people started saying yes. 
And so I was making just a few dollars. And mind you, I was hustling because my then wife didn't work outside the home. Our, our youngest was 18 months old and our oldest was four years old. And there was no plan B. And so I had cashed in my entire 401k with significant Disney stock. I had about a three-year runway. So I was straight up in hustle mode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great. So where did the the writing part of this come in? Because you again, you've published a number of books. Talk talk to me about you know where your idea to also include the the writing came in, and and what was it like for your first book? Yeah. So one of the things I learned at Disney is that it's all about the content. And I noticed when I started speaking, there would be other speakers who had books and I'm like, oh my goodness, I need a book. Mm -hmm. So I decided uh, in my wacky brain, wait a minute, I've got all these newsletters that I've been writing. That's 12 chapters right there. Let me put it into a book. And the first book was a hot mess, but I realized it was a marketing tool because leave it you could send it to full it a book will go places you can never ever imagine mm -hmm. and that's how i started writing my book so after i did the first one i said wait a minute if content is king distribution is is the ultimate deal so literally i just found ways to begin to distribute my book all over the world yeah so would you mind getting into those like how do you distribute your book around the world is it through your speaking is are there other avenues that you take advantage of what's or what's that's like yeah so you have to think about can a book have a baby so can a book become an audiobook can it become an e-course can mm. it become a coaching course can it become a training program does it become a keynote speech there are five five to seven different channels where you can take that one book and chop it up and it becomes somewhere else. Now it's a podcast. It's a it's a radio interview. It's a television show. So what I begin to see, I could create it one time, and it can create multiple different avenues to go in. Mm, excellent. So with with all of those avenues that are possible, how do you decide which order you want to to do them, or which area to focus on at that moment? Since you have a lot of possibilities ahead of you, particularly now. Yeah. So the first thing we think about is if we go in one avenue, are there multiple clients that we can work with in that avenue? So for instance, I have a hospitality background. If I go into the hospitality industry, who else can I connect with? Because I have instant credibility, right? Mm. And can I sell them more than one or two times, right? What else can I do? So that's the first thing we think about. The second thing we think about is if we work with them, can we invite them to be a part of a relationship and put us on retainer where we hang out with them for a year and we've had yeah. those opportunities. So yeah. literally the book becomes the marketing brochure that gets us in the door and they hear the speech, but they're like, hey, what else can you do? Well, guess what? I can MC, I can do executive coaching, I can do a workshop. We even had a client that booked us and uh, they asked me to hang out with them for three years. And I said, listen, there's so much time on the calendar. I bought in trainers that I taught my content to, mm -hmm. paid them X and charged the client Y and Z. So, <laughs> you know, quickly we started figuring out, <laughs> we started figuring out how do we scale, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's phenomenal. So let's talk about your, your latest book, uh, Ignite the Power of Women in Your Life. What made you want to write this topic and talk, talk about, about the, the book and the process? 
my daughter Madison came into my home office and she said, Hey daddy. And I said, Hey baby girl. And I sensed she wanted to talk, mm -hmm. but I was emotionally unavailable. And she got up and said, dad, I'll just catch you later. And it hit me on the plane the next day that I missed a moment to connect with my daughter. So when I came back home, I said, Madison, you want to talk to me? And she said, daddy, it's okay. I said, no, it's not okay. Because if I don't change my behavior, you're going to marry a joker just like me. And her mother said to me, you give everybody the best of you, but you give us the rest of you. And I don't want the leftovers anymore. So after 25 years of being married, I went through a divorce because what I realized I built a house, but lost a home. Mm -hmm. I was chasing money, but had no meaning. And I, I was pursuing status, but had no satisfaction. And so I, my divorce attorney said, you should go and see a therapist. And no guy wants to go and sit on a sofa with a therapist named Anita, who's been practicing therapy for 40 years and has more degrees than a thermostat. Mm -hmm. But there I found myself on the sofa, talk to Anita. Yeah. <laughs> And she said to me, whatever you don't deal with will eventually deal with you. Mm. And that was like, boom, the whack upside head, which sparked me writing the book. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. And so yeah. with your, you know, with the, the current um, other kinds of channels that you have built for your other books, are you doing something similar with, with this book? Or, or are you also going to create a, you know, a podcast series, a few other things out of that? Or, or what is the, the journey of this new book? So the journey is book, number one, any country, company, or community that's going to be worth its salt must do right by women. Mm -hmm. And so what we decided to do, something we've never done before, we created a one-year free impact plan on how do you really ignite the power of women in your life. The next thing that we did is created a six-week e-course on how do you now implement this in operationalize this into your life. So it's videos of me teaching a 36 page workbook. And then we got a call from a major Silicon Valley company who said, we are reading your book and we would like for you to create a course uh, around Ignite the Power of Women in Business. So we literally have created this six-week e-course specifically on how do um, we play nice inside of companies and businesses. Mm. And, and so one, just one little insight, women are sick and tired having the ideas that they tee up poached by a guy who doesn't have a clue who will regurgitate her idea and take ownership of it. That's wrong. That's absolutely wrong. So how do we now really champion their ideas instead of trying to take their ideas? Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's very, very important point. I'm, I'm curious on how you think about uh, fear in, in your, your life. And then you know, also, again, you're someone who coaches others and how you, you talk about the idea of fear, particularly, again, and we mentioned this earlier, you went from a, a more stable role at, at Disney and then cashing your 401k and then went into this whole new area and, and kind of figured it out and have done well. But how do you think about then those instances in your life when you're fearful and how do you move past those instances? I've dealt with fear all of my life. And the first thing that comes up is fear is an opportunity to grow and become better because on the other side of fear is the breakthrough, right? 
So mm-hmm. when I have anxiety or stress, like, oh my goodness, like, what am I doing? Because yeah, I had a great job at Disney, six figures, benefits galore. But at 34 years of age, I recognize if I don't make this move now, I'm going to live with the regret of not mm-hmm. overcoming the fear. Mm-hmm. So I always think of what do I regret? Like, you know, and, and I get out of my head because sometimes fear will tell you a story. And what you have to decide, wait a minute, I can change the story and rewrite. So that's what I've done to overcome the fear, rewrite the script, tell yourself a a new story, and then be very mindful of number one relationships, because whoever has your ear has your life. People don't see you as you are, they see you as they are. So Mm. when, when I'm faced with the fear and I share it with a friend, are they giving me feedback based on where they sit and their worldview? Or do I say, wait a minute, time out. I got to push through this for who I become in the process. Yeah. I'm curious how in your career and actually in, in your business, how, how it went during COVID. And so, you know, obviously you're a very dynamic public speaker. COVID hits. You can't speak on stage anymore. What what were some of the lessons you learned during COVID and how are you kind of, or are you taking those lessons into what you're doing now, um, now that we can be in rooms together? Dude, I lost six to seven figures worth of business in seven days, Ouch. gone, poof, yeah. right? So now I'm sitting on my sofa, binging on Netflix, bitter at the world. I was like, wait a minute, you teach this stuff. How about we eat your own cooking, right? (laughs) (laughs) So number one, I had to get better. Uh, I had to figure out, okay, Zoom, WebEx, all of these different ways to virtually present. And when I got out of my got out of my own way and learned it, it wasn't as hard as I thought. It was like learning to ride a bicycle, right? So right. that's number one. Stop complaining and get up and just do it. Take action. The second thing that I learned is when you connect virtually with an audience, even though you're not with them face to face, the magic is in the chat. So are you connecting and chatting with them like it's a conversation, not a freaking boring presentation with the next PowerPoint. People don't care. They will zone you out. So I quickly had to realize that I had to chat. I had to do polls and I had to say something that was meaningful to them. And if there was a dog in the, in the background that barked, have a human moment. Whose dog is that? What's the name of your dog? Put the dog on screen. All of a sudden people are in Hollywood squares. They're like, what the heck is going on? because it's real life. Mm. And so we if you hear a baby cry in the background, who's got a baby? What's the name of the baby? That's right. I stop in the middle of the presentation because it's a human moment. Yeah. So what I've been able to realize is always be human. Just embrace what is happening in the moment. And that's more authentic than start, instead of trying to be contrived and on point and we got to say it this way. No, have fun. Let it rip. Excellent. Excellent. So with everything that you have done and experienced, what would you say has been the best advice that you ever received? The best advice I've ever received is a paycheck is given to people who show up, Hmm. but opportunities are given to individuals who think and work beyond what they're paid to do. And and that's just the advice that I've gotten over the years. It's really helped me. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely wonderful. So how have you 
I guess, implemented that sometimes in your like corporate career. And then I guess what you, what you do now, because I mean, you're not, your paycheck is not exactly the, as, as it was when you were in the corporate world. Yeah. So yeah. how I applied it at Disney in seven years at the mouse house, I had four different jobs. How I got those jobs is because I was willing to take on the ugly babies. I took on the work that others didn't want to take on, even though there was nothing attached to it on an award. And there were some sponsors who I didn't even know were my sponsors at Disney who helped open doors, who wore my brand t-shirt in rooms that I didn't have access to. And they began to yelp about my work ethic. Mm. So that's how I applied it at Disney. Now, post Disney, what I, what I do is if a client invites me to an event, and they say, hey, you've got a 6.30 a.m. call time. I'm there at 5.30. Why? Because you build the personal relationship in advance by showing up early. So all of a sudden, when they think of the next opportunity, they become my unofficial marketing department because I showed up early. Yeah. Excellence is early. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. That's that's phenomenal, particularly at 5.30 in the morning. Um, yeah, that would definitely leave a good lasting impression. That's great. So thank you so much, uh, Simon, for taking the time today to chat with me. I truly appreciate it. If the listeners would like to buy your books, um, you know, uh, potentially hire you as a speaker or a coach, where are the best places they can go to do all of that? So they can go to ignitethepowerofwomen.com and also simontbailey.com. Don't forget the T, the T for terrific. <laughs> Phenomenal. And I'll, I'll put the links in the, in the show notes so they, they go to the correct places. Uh, but again, Simon, thank you so much. This was a, a, an honor. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you like this episode, please remember to give us a five-star rating, like, and share with a friend. Our theme music is written and mixed by Chicago-based composer Ryan Black of Black Bones Collaborative. To listen to the full catalog of our episodes, go to advanceyourart.com. To see what I'm working on or book a time with me or buy a copy of my book, Be Left Behind, go to yuricataldo.com. Thank you so much and have a great day.